0: Um, Mark chapter 14, that's where we're going to be. There's a page number on the screen for you. If you're using one of our Uniontown Bible Church Bibles, you can take that home with you. You don't feel like you need to return it on your way out, but the page number there is 1582. You can turn there. Just want to say a couple quick things about the environment this morning since we're kind of, you know, trying not to play it up that big of a deal, But, but let me explain a couple things to you. Everything that happens at Uniontown Bible Church is in order to make much of Christ. And so our responsibility is to remove distractions. And so one fear that I have this morning is that as you sit here, there may be some distractions in your head. And so what I want you to do in the next five seconds, just shake your head, get it out of your head, and remember that today is about Jesus. Remember that tomorrow is about Jesus. Remember that we are to be busy about the things of Jesus. Nothing else and no one else. And that really is is what captures the essence of not only what we're going to do this morning, but what we're going to do over the next 10 weeks. A number of you have sat in presentations that I've done over the last couple of weeks explaining the What If series. And, And I've said it pretty much every time we've gotten together. There's a very real danger that I could preach every message in one. And so I'm going to try to stay on task, but we'll see what happens. Who knows? So Mark chapter 14 is where we're going to be this morning. And what I want to do is walk through, um, I'll start reading back in verse 1, but I want to walk through the first nine verses with you so that you see the event that occurs and then take this and apply it to where we live today and what it is that I believe that God is calling us as a church to do in the upcoming weeks. To so Mark chapter 14, starting in verse 1, it says this, Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and to kill Him. Oh, but not during the festival, they said, or the, the people may riot. See, they have ethics. While Jesus was in Bethany, He was reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a And a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and she poured the perfume on his head, and some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. "'Leave her alone,' said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. To the poor, you'll always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So, the setting of the story this morning that, in, that we're taking out of Mark chapter 14 is an interesting one. It's, it's one that we're somewhat unfamiliar with. So, Passover was a huge time uh, in Jerusalem. In fact, so much so that it's said that when the Passover festival and feast began, the population would increase six times. Okay, so let me, let me put that in our vernacular. So, you have a family of what, four? Now, you have a family of 24. 24. Changes the uh, dynamic a little in the house, doesn't it? Shower time gets a little crazy. Mealtime, insane, and there's some pushing and shoving and some some arguments that occur. And so, you don't want to give them too much credit. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law are like, "Yeah, now would not be a good time to kill them," actually, they're right because any little spark in the midst of that chaos would have set people off, and there would have been this explosion of a riot. And so they in a weird way, wisely decided to wait. Jesus travels the short distance from Jerusalem to Bethany, Um, so that would pretty much be close to leaving this parking lot and driving to downtown Union Bridge, if there is a downtown Union Bridge main street-ish over there. It's about that far from Jerusalem to Bethany, and so that's where Jesus went with his disciples, and he has dinner over at Simon the leper's house. Okay, now understand, the leper is not his last name. Okay, Simon is a very popular name, and so they had to use some descriptive terms. It's sort of like Bob the Builder. Which Bob? Bob the Builder. Um, I was thinking through it this morning and here, Mark. Mark is a name that we have plenty of in this church, right? So which Mark? Mark the guy that sings? Mark the guy that builds everything for VBS? Mark the guy who plays sound and looks like Duff? which mark are we talking about? So, so that's a descriptive term here in this. So he says, Simon the leper's house. So they go, Simon the leper's house, probably a guy that had leprosy, perhaps one that Jesus healed in the process of his ministry at some point. And he arrives at Simon the leper's house, and, and there's a parallel passage to this in John chapter 12 that's telling the same story, and it actually adds a few more names and there, a few more pieces of the description to help us get a fuller picture and fuller understanding of, of what's actually happening there at Simon the leper's house, because he begins to introduce to us the other people people who were in the room at the time, which includes Lazarus, and you would know who Lazarus is. Lazarus is the friend of Jesus who, who died. It was in the, in the tomb for three days, and his sisters were like, hey, uh, he stinketh. You might want to stay away from there. And yet Jesus stood and said, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus was brought back from the dead. Lazarus is there at the meal, as are Lazarus's sisters. The one sister is Martha. Martha is an interesting lady. We're told in the, in the, the book of, uh, I think it's John, or I'm sorry, Luke 10, uh, Martha has Jesus as a guest, and she is busy about much serving, is what it says. So she's running around, doing the dishes, preparing the food, running out back and forth. You, you know those hostesses, right? You've you got a picture in your head. Some of you, it's mom. Some of you, it's grandmom. Some of you, it's neighbor. Some of it's your wife. You're like, oh, I got it. Relax, sit. I can't. There's so much to be done. No, there's nothing to be done but Martha's busy about much service, and actually in that story, her sister, Mary, says she is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to every word. Martha, who's trying to accomplish all the things that need to be done in order to pull off this perfect dinner party, comes to Jesus, and and, and you get this moment of humanity that breaks out of Martha that that quite honestly, it shows some vulnerability in, in Scripture, which is a beautiful thing, and Martha comes and says, well, Jesus, would you tell Mary to help me? And then Jesus, and I don't know what tone he had, but he corrects her and says, but, but Martha, there's really not that much important to be doing right now, and Mary's chosen the most important thing, to sit and to listen, to, sit and to listen to the words of life. So Martha's there, and it's funny, you look at John 12, you guess what Martha's doing? Serving. She's running around this, this event, this, this meal at Simon the leper's house, and she is still serving the disciples and Jesus and those who are there. And as the disciples in Christ are preparing to dig in, it says they recline at the table and, and understand how recline is. We don't come to the table in this period of time and pull up our, onto our chairs and we eat with our fork and knife. Now, when you, when you went to dinner to sup with your friends, the table was low against the floor, maybe six inches off the floor, and you actually sat at the table on the floor. And then you allowed your feet to be away from the table because, you know, it's not polite to put your feet in the food. So you would sit with your feet and you would actually lean on an elbow and you would eat. And so Jesus and his disciples and and whoever else is there at the time are are reclining at the table and we've got Lazarus, we've got Simon the leper, we have the disciples, we have Jesus, we have Martha running around doing all the chores, but there's one person who seems to be missing until this moment. Mark, the passage we read, doesn't name the woman. John does. John does. As Mary walks into the room, quietly, and as, as she comes, she's carrying with her something in her hands, and you can picture the disciples as she walks by the disciples heading towards Jesus. You can picture the disciples elbowing each other like, what is she doing? Now, in her hands, she is carrying something that, that nobody's really sure what it is, but it's leaving this, this sweet odor of a trail behind her. Picture, if you will, one of our ladies in the congregation who wears a little bit of perfume. Or picture, if you will, one of the kids in our nursery. (laughs) Different smell, probably if, if smells were color, different color, walking through the hallway. You could walk into that hallway minutes later and still identify the trail that was left. And here comes Mary carrying something. And when she gets to Jesus, she opens her hands and it reveals this alabaster vase, this alabaster jar, alabaster box. It was referred to as the same thing. What what is alabaster? Alabaster is... Is a type of stone that is, is is relatively easy to manipulate into shapes if you're very careful, very cautious, very slow with it. And 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 what they would do is manipulate this into a it was, it was a box shape at the bottom, but with a neck at the top. And and they they would they would do that and they would fill it with perfume and it would hold about 12 ounces of perfume. Um, alabaster was somewhat translucent. Is a word you don't use from the pulpit every day. And so as you looked at it, you could sort of see the color through it. Um, different material, same concept. Get, a, get a, a bottle of syrup, deep amber syrup. And you know how it's, it's really dark, but if you hold it up to the light, you can kind of see the different colors. And that. that's, that's alabaster. The difference is this. Alabaster, in its softness, though it could contain a type of liquid, also was somewhat porous, and so that the smells of the perfume would, would slowly seep out of it. And this, this alabaster box, this alabaster vase that Mary carried towards Jesus, it is said that it's filled with pure nard, which is a weird name of perfume, probably wouldn't pass the marketing tests of today. This nard was a very expensive perfume. It was imported from India, almost 3000 miles, which even now is it's a hefty import, but, but if you were to import something 3000 miles in their time, that was a distance. This thing was 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 powerfully sweet smelling. And the consistency of the nard is an egg white. That thick consistency um, oftentimes what they would do is they would take their alabaster vase that was filled with their perfume, their costly perfume, in this case a vase that was filled with nard, and, and oftentimes they didn't have windowsills like we have today, but, but they would put it in somewhat like a windowsill and let it set there because as the sun beat on it, it warmed it up and it caused the smell to seep through the porousness of the alabaster just a little bit more. And if a breeze kicked up, it, it kind of pushed it through the house. It was like the, the original glade, Here's our original plug-in right here. Mary walks to Jesus, who's reclining at the table, getting ready to eat. And she's holding the alabaster vase. She gets over the head of Jesus, and she crushes it. And all of the nard falls out onto Jesus. The, the alabaster vase is now just crumbling into pieces, and, 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 and it's gone. So think about it for a moment. Think about what it would look like. It would be like standing over somebody with an egg and just crushing it in your hands and everything dripping out all over. I mean, you don't have much control over where it goes, and you certainly can't get it back in the eggshell because now the shell is completely shattered and smashed, right? This is what she does. She comes to Jesus. She stands over him. She crushes the the alabaster. the, The perfume comes through, and it's gone. Complete, total, absolute sacrifice. There is no getting it back in the vase. It's gone. And then there's a response to what Mary just did. I need you to remember something as you consider what we're about to talk about. This response was not from the Pharisees. This response was not from the Sadducees. This response was not from the chief priests or the keepers of the law. This response was not from the people who are mentioned in verse 1. This response comes from the lips of the disciples of Jesus Christ when they see what Mary had just done, they laid into her. They just let her have it. Verse 4, some of those present were saying indignantly to each other, why this waste of perfume? This, This could have been sold for more than a year's wages, the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. What a waste! Why would, you, why would you dump that all over him and all over the floor? What were you thinking, Mary? What were you thinking? Okay, so, <laughs> this is free. I, I'm not a fan of Notre Dame football. One reason I'm not a fan of Notre Dame football is because of their coach, Brian Kelly. I won't get into all the details. However, last night I was flipping through and I watched a little bit of the Notre Dame game last night, which ended perfectly for a guy who's not a fan of Notre Dame. And one of their players made a foolish play, and he's coming off the field, and he's dejected, he's upset, and Brian Kelly looks him in the face and says, are you dumb? And I'm like, that's another reason I don't like Notre Dame. There it is. Are you dumb? That's what these guys just said to Mary. Now, a football player might expect that, particularly one who's spent any time with Brian Kelly. Of course... With my luck, he's gonna be a believer, and I'm gonna have to apologize next week. And man, (laughs) maybe we'll have a guest speaker next week. Who knows? Um, (laughs) Moving on. Sorry. A football player may be expecting that. What a lady who just took this very expensive vase of perfume and crushed it over her savior. What do you think her response was like, her reaction to being attacked by those who were the disciples of Jesus? I mean, have you ever done something and were, we're actually proud of it and then we're annihilated on the other side? It is the perfect picture of it is, is being a parent and sitting in the other room and you're reading and it's been quiet for a little while, a little too long where the kids are. And they come running in and they're like, oh, mommy, daddy, come here. I want to show you something. Come on, come here, come here. And you know that, that beautiful thing, it's a beautiful thing. When the littlest of our kids comes up and reaches up to grab our hand because they're so proud of something and they want to show us something. They reach up and you're like, oh, come on, dumpling, let's go look. And you walk into the living room and you realize they did artwork all over the wall in magic marker. And they're like, it's a masterpiece. And you're like, No. Or better, husbands, it's Valentine's Day. What is it that your wife needs? Not a vacuum cleaner. Happy Valentine's Day, honey. I know you've been wanting to get one. Here you go. And the expression on her face probably isn't the one that you were hoping or anticipating. Here's Mary doing something she believes is 100% correct, 100% right, 100% accurate, and what she is met with is indignation. That's worth a lot of money. You should have just sold it. You should have just given it to the poor. Look how much good it could have done. And and I'm going to be honest with you, they're not wrong. It says it's worth a year's wages. In, In John, it tells it's worth about 300 denarii. So here's a picture for you in in the story of the feeding of the 5,000 when the disciples look out and they're like, there's 5,000 people, and Jesus says, feed them. And they're like, Jesus, where are we going to find 200 denarii to feed 5,000 people? So if 200 denarii feeds 5,000 people, you math geniuses can figure out how much 300 denarii feed. I didn't put it in my notes. I didn't even try Moving on. It's a lot of people. They can feed thousands and thousands of people with what this perfume was worth. So they were right, it could have been used, could have been sold. Now, we do know from John chapter 12 that the motivation, and the one speaking this actually was Judas, his motivation really didn't have a whole lot to do with the feeding of the poor, it had to do with the fact that he was the keeper of the money bag, and whenever funds went in, a few extras came out and went in his pocket. So he was very concerned with with how much their account was holding at the time. The the, the phrase that's used, the end of verse 5, they rebuked her harshly, is a very colorful phrase. They've reached a point where they no longer can speak because they are so angry. They are so frustrated. They are so filled with violent displeasure. The literal term there is the one that is used for the snort of a horse. Now would not be a good time to look at your wife and be like, hey, you do that. That would not be good, okay? But but that anger just fills up inside of Oh, a not oh. And here's Mary thinking she did something that was right and good. And then merciful Jesus steps in. This phrase stood out to me a lot this week, "Leave her alone." Side note, do you know that we have an accuser every day? stands before the Father and accuses us and accuses us. You know what the words of Christ are as our mediator, as our intercessor? Leave him alone. Jesus says, "What she had, she did." That's the exact translation of the beginning of verse eight. She did what she could. The literal translation is, "What she had, she did." And it's beautiful, and it's amazing. And he responds to their claims that they should have taken this money and fed the poor. He says, listen, the the poor will always be here, but I will not. Now, before you you get lost in this, let me explain what he's doing here. He's not excusing us from our responsibility towards the poor. He's also not saying, "Ah, the poor will always be a problem, so don't worry about them. He's saying, work with the poor, but right now, that's not the point. The point is, there is one person here in our presence who knows who I am, and boys, it ain't you. Mary understands. Mary gets it. Maybe it's because of all the time she spent at the feet of Jesus listening to his every word. She let it all sink in, and she got it. And she knows who he is, She knows what He's going to do for her. She knows Him. She's focused on Him. And and because she loved Him that much, when the disciples cried out, that's too much, (laughs) there's no such thing as too much. There's no such thing as too much when you really know who Jesus is. There is no such thing as too much, and Jesus, as a reward for her sincere sacrifice, He promises this, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. And so today, Uniontown Bible Church, we are a part of the fulfillment of a prophecy of Jesus Christ. For in this moment, September 18th, 2016, more than 2,000 years from when this woman Gave this incredible, amazing sacrifice. Here we speak of it still. What if we knew Jesus like that? What if we knew Jesus like that? What if you loved Jesus more than fill in the blank? What if you loved Jesus more than your alabaster vase, your pure nard, your family heirlooms, your approval of other people? What if you loved Jesus more than you did caring for the poor? What if you loved Jesus more than your possessions or more than your children? What if you loved Jesus more than your reputation? What if you loved Jesus more than doing a particular ministry or your very own comfort? What if you loved Jesus more than your job?" Do you? What if Uniontown Bible Church was filled with people who loved Jesus more than anything and everything else? See, this this, this story isn't about financial stewardship. However, it is about a generosity of life that is simply absurd to the rest of the world. This story isn't about volunteerism and, and serving in your local church, but it is about an investment of time that demonstrates a radical priority to Jesus and Jesus alone. The story isn't about keeping rules, but it is about being sold out and committed to relentless obedience to Jesus' call in your life. If we loved Jesus more than anything, more than everything, if we loved Jesus the way Mary loved Jesus, well then, the church could actually be the church. I mean, that's what this is about. It's about the church being the church. And so, I, I know, when I say something like that, some people will respond, yup, yep. spot on brother. You guys, you pastors and you elders, you you leadership guys, really should. Oh no 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 no! That ain't the church. Pardon my bad grammar. That's not the church at all. The church isn't a you guys. The church is me. No, not me. That could be taken differently. Church is you. Us. It's it's my responsibility. It's my call. It's the the work of Jesus Christ in my life. I mean, what, what if every single one of us was relentless in our love and service for Jesus Christ? What if we loved him more than anything, more than everything? What if each one of us was so addicted to him in love that we were about more than just Sunday morning? What if each one of us This would be scary. What if each one of us carried a recording device with us all week long, and when we played them on Sundays, what we found was this place is filled with individuals who love Jesus more than anything else. Their whole life is about Jesus. Everything they do is about Jesus. What what if that happened? What, What if we loved Jesus that much? What if our love for Jesus was demonstrated in an attempt to tell those around us of the one who came to liberate us from our sin, set us free from our sin, break the chains off of us so that we could have life. I heard this this morning and I love it. We know John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We know that verse. God loved the world so much he gave us Jesus. God loved your neighbor so much. God loved your coworkers so much. He gave them you to open your mouth and tell them about Jesus. So, what if we believed that? What if we lived like that? What if we lived in this relentless pursuit to liberate people around us from their sin? What if our lives were were so filled with this love for Jesus Christ that we sought to lead other believers into a better understanding of what it meant to love Jesus more than anything? What, what if we, we sought to demonstrate to other people what it looks like to be a disciple? Now, now understand something. And there's, there's a key component and key ingredient to discipleship that is teaching, but that's not all of it. Discipleship isn't just teaching. Discipleship is serving and showing. So what if every single one of us were so in love with Jesus that we shed all of the weight that continues to distract us and instead spent our primary effort and focus on pouring into those around us and discipling them by walking with them and serving them? What if our love for Jesus was, was so deep and so radical that Uniontown Bible Church became known as a church that is filled with people who launch other men and women, boys and girls off this hill into Carroll County to carry the good news with them. What if that was us? What if that's what we became known for? Not not because, ooh, hey, we want to write up in Christianity today. Bah. What if people like Uniontown, hey, I know that church because you were the ones who poured into Mark, you can pick which one, and he came and he served me, he loved me, he prayed with me, he shared his story with me, and then he laid out the beautiful testimony of the blind man in John 9. I don't know, man, I was blind, but now I see, and Jesus is the one that did it. What if that's what Uniontown became known as, the place that launched these people into our community, into our county? What if we became the church that came alongside each other as we go to our school, as we go to our workplace, as we go to our neighborhood, as we, we seek to encourage and pray for our own, as we send them out with the gospel, we send them out with the story of the good news, to, for them to carry that good news into the places where you work, where you study, where you live? What if? All that is possible. If we each love Jesus more than anything else. And so, this is what we want you to dream about with us for the next couple of weeks. Um, as you leave this morning, this is how I'll introduce it. As you leave this morning, you're going to be handed one of these. This is a, a reading guide. It's a study guide. It's a, I was going to say a dream guide, but that sounds weird. Not that reading guide doesn't sound weird. As you get this, when you open it, what you're going to find is this. You're going to find every day for the next September, October, two and a half months, there's a reading for every day. It's usually one chapter or less. And then there's two or three questions that hopefully will cause you to think about that passage that you just read and how it relates to you today. And then there's the big one at the end of it that says, okay, so now that you've read that, now that you've answered the questions, what if? And that's what we want you to answer. In your, in your reading guide, you can fill out the what if that you can you can lay that out for you. And I did kind of threw a couple of guides in here. So what if what if I prayed for five minutes? What if I read my Bible every day? What if I shared the gospel with my coworker? What if I made more of an effort to reach my neighbor with the gospel? Um I'll I'll brag on somebody without leaving a name, but yesterday I was talking to somebody. And they're already planning their what if for Halloween. What if, what if if I set up a fire pit here and left this gate open and they had to come over here to get the candy, then we could engage them in conversation around the fire pit. So, So what if we intentionally used these natural opportunities that God has given us to reach our neighbors with the gospel and did something with them? And so what we want you to do is we want you to, to dream that way, not in this weird pipe dream way. What if I had $9 million? I don't mean that, okay? And then as you work through this and, and, and fill this out, what we're going to encourage you is every Sunday morning, before you come in here, you grab yourself a cup of coffee and you walk over to the chalkboard that's over there. There'll be chalk available. and We want you to write on the board, what if. So when staff pastor elder retreat happened, a couple of months ago, we did a little bit of the what-if dreaming, and a number of the things we dreamt about have already happened. So, what if we had more of a community presence? You know, what if we adopted an elementary school and provided school supplies for the kids who couldn't provide for their own? What if we had more of a community presence? Well, what if we adopted the local football team? and fed them dinner on Friday night. What if? What could happen? Oh, because they eat my lasagna, they're going to come gloriously to Jesus. No, but it may break down a wall and give another person an opportunity to share the gospel with them. When the player is like, why are those people so crazy that they would make us dinner every Friday night? Because it's about more than just dinner. It's about the Savior who we love more than anyone or anything. So dream and act. See, we have a Savior who loved us, who died for us. We have a Redeemer who has called us to run into Carroll County with the good news that there is a Savior for our sins. You know, this message and some of the messages coming up are really going to be focused towards those who have already placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But I'd be a fool to think that was all of us. I know there's some people here this morning who they, they just don't have time for that. Or they think they're too far gone and Jesus could never forgive them. Or they don't think they need a Savior. The sovereign God who created everything that we see Who is infinite in his wisdom and understanding has looked you square in the eyeball and said buddy you're a sinner and on your own you're in trouble and you need a savior and because the only payment for sins that is acceptable is the the spilling of blood that means certain death but i love you enough that i will shed the blood of another as he gave us his son See, salvation isn't a tithe check. Salvation isn't carrying a big enough Bible, being baptized, or being a member of a certain church. Salvation is in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb who laid down his life for you. Salvation is crying out his name and knowing that you need a Savior. It's crying out his name and asking him to forgive you of your sins. We have a Savior. He died for us. So we should run off this hill to share the good news of that Redeemer who came for us. What if you did that? What if we did that? And what, what, what could possibly happen? It's time to be the church. Not go to church, not belong to a church, but be the church. Because Jesus saved you, He's called you, and He has sent you. He's sent you not to the same old, same old of playing church, but He's sent you to the incredible possibilities of being the church. So let me ask you this very simple question What if we loved Jesus more than anything? Yep. Hey, guess what? That actually pictures it better than it could have, doesn't it? Because um, there ain't no getting it back in the shell. I love them that much. Dump some more. How about you? doesn't mean go grab eggs and dump them all over yourself. It's not some new weird baptism thing. May we love Jesus enough to make a complete idiot out of ourselves as we point to him and say we love him. What if? Let's pray. (laughs) Lord, you're awesome. (laughs) <laughs> we're not. Father God, we, um, we're broken not just in the way we act, but in the way we talk, the way we function. God, we're broken in the fact that we think we know what we're doing, and yet by our actions we prove we don't. We're broken when we try to to do this life ourselves, independent of God who has called us to repentance, independent of the one who has has cried out and said, follow me. God, this is an exciting time for us. It's an exciting time for us to to, to just get behind you and follow you and, and to go where you call us. God, I ask that you would wake us up, open our eyes, help us to understand what it is to be the church, and God, may we passionately do that, holding absolutely nothing back. Lord, I pray you would open our eyes to understand what that looks like even today. Amen.